on this episode of AV Week. We talk about how your company needs to be IT-centric, should we be tracking you and the ramifications, and what does a Nobel Prize award-winning carbon fiber layer mean to you? These topics and more on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 268, The Proper Ambient, recorded October 14th, 2016. Hello, everybody. This is AV Week, your source for news and information in the integration AV world. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Welcome to the show. Thank you for watching. This week, we have a really cool set of stories and some really cool guests. Let's introduce them to get the show started. First off, we have... Bruce Kaufman, he is from Human Circuit. Good day to you, sir. Good day to you, George. Looking forward to this. All right. Thanks. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. Also, we have with us today, John Thomas. He is from Visitech. Sir, good to see you. Hi, George. Hi, Bruce. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. And I said earlier, but I love your backdrop. You said it's your office, but man, that's fabulous. It's much cooler than mine anyway. I want the TV. It's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get started with some of the stories today. The first off we have, well, it's one that we have talked about quite a bit, but we don't seem to quite get it. From our friends at Commercial Integrator, want to succeed in AV from five years from now? Get IT-centric. If we haven't gotten it now, gentlemen, here's the article to help us get there. All right. So we have known for many, many, many years that IT is here, it's coming, but we don't seem to always be the industry that gets it. We still seem to be fighting for our own little space. John, I'm going to start with you on this one. IT-centric. Most of our industry is still not investing more in IT than they are in AV. How can we change that? Well, I I think a lot of it has to do with the way that we recruit employees. Uh, We tend to have uh, a way that we define ourselves. Part of the reason that we define ourselves in the traditional AV mode is because the majority of people in the industry uh, are, have been there for many, many years. In fact, in, a, in an AV Nation survey, not that long ago, earlier in the year, it, uh, 40% of those who responded to the survey had been in the AV industry for 20 years or longer. Only 7% in that aviation survey have been in the industry for five years or less, which indicates to me that we are sorely in need of IT-centric thinking among the people that work in this industry. Bruce, so John brings up a good point that we're not really focusing on the right-centric people and it's the way we train and sort of focus ourselves. But the answer is not millennials, is it? Because we find that many of those millennials don't know nearly as much as we think they do. So how do we convince ourselves from top to bottom that this is the way to go and that we have to rearrange? 
Yeah, I, you know, I, my favorite subject, we start dividing the generations, but um, <laughs> I don't think it's a generational issue per se. It's an industry-wide issue. Recruitment to our industry in the way that we describe ourselves is problematic because we're not going to attract necessarily people who believe that their world, the IT world, is higher thinking to begin with. So AV becomes unattractive in the way that we describe it. Um, we think the problem really emanates actually from the manufacturing side. The foot drag is on the manufacturing side, which then in turn makes the recruitment more difficult. As long as the manufacturers continue to drag their feet about meeting the standards and the best practices of IT, things that are routable, signals that are routable, um, that's going to be the problem with really becoming IT-centric or becoming IT or, or with, uh, one with IT. So I think it's more of a manufacturing issue than it is really a personnel issue. If manufacturing drops their guard and becomes part of IT, then we'll be able to recruit proper IT people to, uh, to our offices. Well, you know, uh, you make a good point, but my question really comes down to sort of infrastructure. Um, you say from the manufacturing side, although they are supplying every item now has an IT port or an Ethernet port of some sort. I mean, I always do everything we wanted to, right? But it, it has something. Are we not seeing the forest for the trees as the statement goes in that it really isn't about the ecosystem we think? It's the ecosystem that is there on the consumer side. It's there on the corporate IT side that everything hangs off of one backbone. And we're failing to see that that backbone really is our ticket, our train ride into getting our systems. No, John? Well, uh, there has to be a recognition that with integrators, they're seeing less and less traditional cabling going on in their infrastructure, in their integration, in their services. And they're seeing a lot more, a lot more of content being transferred over IT infrastructure, over Ethernet, over uh, self-contained networks. Um, and, I, and I think what's happening is that we have yet to educate our people internally about that format, about that process. It really is the new format for uh, everything from content creation to content, uh, content distribution. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with Bruce about the manufacturers being the, the driving force behind this. I really do think, I, I think the manufacturers are heading in that direction, but also we're seeing a lot more from companies like Xtron and Crestron and Cisco and, and all the others who are driving their IT-centric uh, equipment. Part of it, though, and I, and I go back to the way that we define ourselves. And my, my reference before to years of service doesn't necessarily indicate generational differences as much as uh, career differences. We've got, we've got a lot of people who've been here for many, many years who st still think in, in, in the old way. Correct. That's generational. But employees who have been here for less than five years, less than 10 years, typically those are people we would have recruited from other industries than a traditional AV person would have come from. Uh, you know, it, traditional AV people came from the sound recording industry, came from broadcast, came from whatever, music. Uh, in the last 10 years, we really have been trying to recruit people from the IT industry, from the web content creation industry, from people who are really focused on computer science and other technologies. You know, you can, we can teach anyone AV with the right mentoring and the right training, 
But what we can't teach them is how to think about things, how to, how to mold their approach to communication and integration uh, in, in a different way than what we've traditionally looked at. You know, that's a huge point, and it, it really does kind of come to the crux of that. We're still not seeing that part now. But I do have something for Bruce. You, you, you mentioned the manufacturers, and that really sort of focuses on hardware. No, is it really something that we're missing in that ecosystem that it's become more of a service industry than we're used to saying? I mean, we've always said we're a service industry, but we're really sort of providing a cloud access to things that may involve hardware, but not always the stuff we access. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, less and, it's less and less of the hardware. When I talk about the manufacturers, that does not leave out the software manufacturers as well. When I look at the vendors calling on us um, across the board, and, and you know, uh, we can, the personnel issues are legit across the board. But I get it, I'm, I'm at the mercy, if I'm not going to manufacture my own hardware and software, I'm at the mercy of what is provided to me. And while that network port, as you mentioned, has been put on the back of every single object that's out there, what does it actually do has become a big deal. Um, does, it, does it actually play well? I can tell you on a weekly basis, my engineers are frustrated with the fact that uh, the rules are broken by proprietary schemes on these things. Um, cloud is being shouted as a big answer right now. In a lot of ways, it's very invasive to our clients and the way that they want to do business. It's not the end-all, be-all in a lot of cases. Um, there's some security concerns. Um, there's an invasion to the relationship, quite frankly, from some cloud providers between us and our clients. Um, so it, the, the whole cloud software thing is a little bit tricky in and of itself, but we're still at the mercy of the hardware that's providing our industry that's part of the front end to the delivery to the network. And uh, that's become very, very difficult. I mean, it's enabled, uh, but not necessarily by the rules. What would, what would you say would be an action plan for a manufacturer to make that transition that would satisfy your needs? Um, give me an idea of what you think a manufacturer should begin doing and what their, you know, what their, what their timeline should be uh, as far as integrating more network standards within their, within their manufacturing, within their software, within their approach to our business. Well, the timeline, frankly, was yesterday. I mean, we're behind. We're five years behind, 10 years behind. We've been talking about the uh, convergence and the IT-centric thing for 10, 15 years. Um, we've made the suggestions of manufacturers over the years. They're, you know, if, if they play on the network, they're not necessarily up to the latest speeds and the bandwidth requirements that are there. Um, I think it really what it takes is the product development people need to fully embrace uh, and maybe we need to hire from the IT industry for the product development people to really understand what's, what the networking is. I mean, I can use examples of us a, a, avoiding it with things like HD base T, AVB is another one that truly avoids the idea of what a true network should be about. You can't switch it. Um, we need to drop uh, the proprietary nature of the way we approach things, trying to lock in business. I think it's a mindset more than it is a know-how. Um, I know these product development people are very, very smart individuals. They've come up with some great product. Um, but I think it's really paying attention that the, if, if there was a battle, and I don't like to think of it that way, if there was a battle between industries, it's over. Uh, you know, it, the IT industry is king at this point. Our customers, our best customers, our CIOs, directors of IT in the IT department. And uh, we know part of our job at this point is to let them sleep at night. 
So if I'm going to prescribe the proper ambient at this point, I need to have equipment that allows them to, to sleep, right? equipment and hardware and software when I say equipment. Um, so we know that, again, we're constantly dealing with the issues of troubleshooting network problems uh, that have to do with the actual implementation of the firmware or latest revs of the software that seem to break the network every time. So, you know, the nice thing about standards is that there are so many to choose from. Um, but you think that our industry is too focused on creating its own standards, including the manufacturers, that are too separate from the IT standards, IT industry? I do. I think there's a protectionist view, so to speak, that uh, we there's a, that there's a paranoia, I think, that we uh, are current manufacturers are the ones we've been with forever, will render themselves obsolete by playing the game, uh, that we won't be as beholden to them as we might, that new challenges will come up, which is happening anyway. I listen, I look at a great example of Logitech. Uh, you know, Logitech comes from that side of the industry. I could go uh, to Best Buy tomorrow, and this gets into the argument about margins and all those types of things, but quite frankly, you know, there's a manufacturer from the IT side of the industry, uh, from the consumer, IT side of the industry, who is manufacturing to the rules and the laws of IT. Uh, and they're gonna be very successful in that. Uh, is that good for industry? Uh, not necessarily. Is it good for the client? I'll say not necessarily there either, because it may be uh, shooting short of satisfying the customers at a, at a higher level and making their lives more productive and better. Uh, it may shortchange some things on the technology side, but it definitely plays by the rules and it makes IT uh, personnel comfortable. And I think part of our job going forward is to take, whether you're on the AV or the broadcast side or the uh, enterprise video deployment side of things, like we're moving into the OTT, uh, not only do you have to walk the walk and talk the talk, but your manufacturers have to get your back as well in order to say, listen, we're part of the same industry and not separate. We're still looking for separation here. It may, it may not be as intentional as that, but it sure appears that way. Well, all right, there's obviously we can talk much more about this topic and maybe we should do a special on it, but uh, it's obviously something we need to address even though we've been trying to address it for, for a long time. Uh, moving on though to something about hardware uh, from our friends at Digital Trends. Uh, while this seems a little bit more, say, residential, it, it really does involve us. From Digital Trends, you need HDMI 2.0 to enjoy 4K, but do you need new cables? Well, yes, the everlasting question. Do we need a new cable for a new format? So, John, I'm going to start with you. 4K, the Digital Trends guys give us a little grid here about what works where and how to choose. First off, do you find that this is actually addressing future-proofing, or do you think they're short-selling the standard? It's a good question. I, I don't know if they're short-selling the standard. Um, it's a transition period now between standard 1920 by 1080 and 4K or UHD. And I think in that transition, we have a lot of existing infrastructure, which is going to uh, be relegated to be good enough for whatever 4K applications we're going to see in the next couple of years. Um, we don't have a whole lot of control over over HDMI choices. Uh, it's it's a standard created by their by their HDMI.org standards committee. Um, they're going to establish whatever you know standards that they want as far as meeting the 4K and UHD application needs. 
there's a huge difference between HDMI as we know it now than we did four years ago, five years ago. Right now, we have a lot more signals being transmitted through HDMI cables with Ethernet and uh, and 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 uh, audio uh, that we haven't had before. Uh, DisplayPort has yet to catch up. DisplayPort still does not have an Ethernet channel. It does not have an audio channel uh, for for the applications that HDMI 4K has has established. Um, I think if I were an integrator today, if I were specifying a new system. Absolutely, I would use cables that met every bit of the 4K specification. I have no control over what that customer is going to do in six months. When that cable gets pulled out, they take it home or they bring another one in because they had it in their drawer in their family room and plugged it in, uh, and then their, uh, their performance uh, is reduced. But I, I do think we have to be very careful with new, in, uh, with new installations to make certain that everything we specify is going to meet all of the standards established by the application. Bruce, they, um, they talk about these standards and, and, and John talks about these standards that we could possibly use, but are we still dealing though with confusion on the consumer side where even the Hokum cable, you know, those really fancy cables that the guy wanted in his house have to be brought into our commercial environment because the guy who's overseeing it wants it? Or do you find that we're getting a better understanding these days of that HD 4K signal in, in our installations? Well, I think, I think we're definitely getting a better understanding. Um, I think it's a very fast, it was a very fast learning curve, obviously. Uh, you know, 4K came in, you know, twice as fast or three times as fast as HD did. So I think the education is very quick, and I think we've been, uh, as an industry, been pretty good to, to catch up. Um, you know, we've got to still pay attention to the devices themselves, the cards, the interconnects. Uh, I want to say cabling is the least concern. I think there's some confusion by the manufacturing industry on HDMI. Obviously, not an integrator's friend. You can't field terminate it, so that's not a, not one of our favorite things. But um, you know, the misnomer, so to speak, about the high-speed HDMI cable versus uh, 2.0. Uh, you know, high speed takes care of 4K. It's not a problem. Uh, it may not be as uh, forward thinking for what's coming next, but we all know the high speed uh, HDMI label will work for 4K. Is 2.0 better? Well, only because it has additional overhead and may take advantage of additional features that may be coming quicker than we like. So is it safer? Yeah, it's safer. You can get the money arguments. Obviously, uh, high speed HDMI is one third uh, quarter of the price potentially of a 2.0 cable. Um, is my life as a consumer improved by the 2.0 cable? Not now. Uh, but yeah, there's a little bit, I don't like using the term because there's no such thing as future proofing, but uh, obviously if I buy the next TV in theory, my 2.0 cable was probably better set for it. Uh, but it, I don't think it's a, as much a major concern as making sure the pieces and parts that lead up to my display are compatible and have the proper standards with them also. How, Bruce, how important do you think it is to have Ethernet in DisplayPort, to have that return audio channel in DisplayPort similar to the HDMI 2.0 standards? Uh, you know, again, I think it gets down to what the application is and what you're doing. I think as much as you can, as much as you can have that availability uh, makes life ultimately easier and more flexible for the customer. Um, features that they may not be taking advantage of right away if they want to make a quick switch, they want to enhance what they're doing. I think to have the full availability of tools is always a great idea. 
Um, you know, again, I, I would hope in a discussion of a bigger system, the difference between a $40 cable and $20 cable is not a subject that's at the table, but it's going to cost me $20 difference. So, you know, erring on the side of caution, yeah, using the 2.0 cable is a good idea because you have those additional feature sets and the additional bandwidth and performance and those types of things. Uh, but, you know, it can be easily overplayed as well. And so you just got to be careful about the conversation. All right. So, yeah. Let me ask you this question, actually, though, then. How much weight do you put on the little premium certification label that uh, the HDMI.org or the HDMI forum tries to put out? Is that a selling point? Does it matter? Or are you finding that the cables you get in general are fine? John, I'll give you a quick moment with that one. Depends on the manufacturer. Um, it's hard to tell where some of these cables come from, I think having that designation is probably going to give you some reassurance. Um, I, I think it's probably equivalent to uh, any other, any other label that says this is, this is bonafide. This is certified. It's, it's good. It's good for you. It's, it's good for what you want. And Bruce, do you find that that's a, um, a selling point? Do you find that, uh, that this helps with the sale for the client or does it really not matter and you're just going to do it for you because you do it? Well, yeah, not, it's not even a conversation that we have with the clients. We have, we have a, you know, literally our, we have a published book at our place for the standards of use and we are very uh, selective and some would call it snobby about the manufacturers we use for our cabling. And we always do very thorough testing when something new comes out, much like these HDMI cables, a great example. We went through several manufacturers, uh, not so much about whether the label said the certification, did, it, did we plug it in and did it work, and all the technical issues that are associated with it. If you stick to the high quality manufacturers, the, one that you, the ones that you know always adhere to the standards, it, you don't have a problem. And again, that's passed through invisibly to the client. Um, I can't remember the last client we had a discussion about the actual cabling per se. Well, another topic that we don't have a conversation with our clients with, but we may have to very shortly from our friends at Advertising Age. Yes, I know. Why am I sharing something from Advertising Age? Well, location tracking and the trouble with opting in. Here's why I bring this up. We are doing, especially on the commercial side, more and more, well, you know what, even on the residential side, more and more systems that are learnable, that learn what we do, that are keeping track of where we are and how close we are, say a key lock system or something of that nature. This article in Advertising Age talks about the fact that sometimes when you opt into an app, you are also giving your information to third, fourth, and maybe even fifth level parties. And did you know you were opting in to them? So I'm going to pose the question here with our new ability to do cloud services and to oversee what's going on with, say, their Wi-Fi and their lighting and other such things. I'm going to start with you, Bruce. Based on the name of your company, the human, the, the, the human circuit, this may involve a lot of that. How much of it are we responsible for keeping safe and private? And how much of it is really, I know it's an advantage and I'm going to know that that's what's going to happen to me when I, when I say my lights come on at seven, people will know. Yeah, very tricky question, frankly. Um, the specifically the location piece is an interesting one because, you know, as a nation, we, we got outraged with the NSA invading our privacy and picking off our emails and everything else. But you're, we're very quick to to your point a moment ago about clicking on the app that says, "Hey, we're going to use your location." You go, "Okay," uh, partly because you feel you're obligated to do so because they won't let you use it if you don't. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit 
of a, of a trick. Um, is it harmful? Is it dangerous? I think when we start to put together our own, uh, you know, softwares and those types of things that we deliver, our customization, I think we have to be very, very careful who the customer is, uh, where their placement is, what industry they're in, and, uh, you know, be uh, sensitive uh, to protecting that client and their information. Um, I mentioned the cloud before. We've, we felt the cloud uh, from some of the manufacturers that are out there is invasive specifically in mining that type of information for their own and maybe third-party use. And that's why we have not been as quick to adopt cloud strategies for some of our customers. It's not appropriate. And again, we, we don't feel that information, sharing that information provides an upside for the client itself. And that's what we're focused on. So yeah, we're, we're paying attention to it. Um, obviously we're not an app developer and that's where most of this is coming from. Um, we don't deploy a lot of that type of app, but the things that we are deploying, we're very, very cautious on the security side about third party sharing of information. And you know, our recommendation, our clients is gonna be if there's an upside or benefit for them because of what you mentioned, George, in terms of maybe AI, the AI side of things as we move more and more into that, uh, the learning of systems and the use of the systems can provide an a end user advantage. Uh, but again, I think it's a very, very slippery slope. You know, John, uh, Bruce brings up the fact that, you know, they're trying to be very careful and they are tiptoeing into this level of the cloud service and being responsible for access to data. But do we know if the manufacturers are, I mean, they seem like very, you know, innocuous apps, you know, open your door, uh, learn your lighting, be able to access your house from remotely to see what's going on. But as integrators, are we taking the responsibility to make sure that we understand what the complications, maybe even the legalities are, so that both we and our clients are protected? I, I still don't see a clear, how do I say this, a clear platform in our industry for that. I, I don't think integrators think about it, to be honest with you. I mean, with the exception of, of Bruce's company and probably a few others, which, you know, Bruce's company sounds like it pays a lot more, a lot more attention to those details than most integrators do. I think most integrators are really just more interested in, in getting in and getting out, getting the job done correctly so that everything works to the expectations of the customer. I don't think our, their mindset is really about, about those types of issues. I do know that in commercial applications, commercial integration, customers are extraordinarily careful about their privacy and about making certain that all their communications are secure. I think that we would be at risk professionally if we in integrated an application or some software that inadvertently uh, scraped information from the customer as far as use or location without their permission. Now, most video conferencing and management uh, applications, software, uh, will give you the opportunity to get as much data uh, and mine all that data as possible about the use of systems and so on. But the use of systems within a corporation is information that that corporation requires uh, it's also information that that corporation or enterprise deserves to get. And they are essentially uh, immune from any liability for anything that occurs within their companies. Uh, 
we're talking about a different thing when we're talking about private activities or private homes, private residences. I can't really address that other than to know what I do myself, and I'm extraordinarily careful uh, about the kind of information that I that I uh, I share online uh, or that I share with an app. Typically, I lie, and 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 my my birthday is a lot different than it always is, and my location is somewhere else um, because it's not really cogent to what 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 that app is doing for me. So, John, you're saying you're 21 in Aries and like long walks on the beach. Is that how uh, most of them appear? Oh, no, I don't tell them the truth. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> okay, well, let's get to one last story here that is a bit far out. But when I host, of course, there's a couple of far out stories because I like to follow the EE Times people and all that. But from our friends this time at Engadget, graphene-fed silkworms spin super threads. Yes, that five times fast. All right, why did I choose this story? Well... This story is chosen because graphene is carbon atoms. They're very thin carbon atoms. And for those of us who don't think that anybody that wins the Nobel Prize has any effect on our industry, well, guess what? They probably do. The thing about these graphene tubes, they fed them, rolled them up, of course, and fed them to these silkworms. And then the silk that came out of them was not only stronger, but it conducts electricity. My question to you guys is, can you see a future use for this in our industry using, say, silk, what is it going to replace? Bruce, I'll start with you. Well, this is why we have uh, a million silkworms in our back room here. We've changed our integration space now. And we have a silkworm farm. We're way ahead of the curve on this one. Now, um, it, graphene itself is a fascinating topic purely because of the, the subjects we've discussed for 20 years. And I remember having this conversation going back with people at Sony about e-paper. Um, obviously, graphene itself is an interesting uh, substance uh, that could have a lot of benefits for extremely flexible uh, and very durable uh, you know, surfaces for display, touchscreen, uh, that type of thing. Whether silkworms actually feed into it or not, uh, interesting. I think it's probably going to help me more with my shirt than it is with my uh, display. Uh, but graphene itself, I think, is really fascinating. I, the, the problem with regulating the power that goes through it is really what, where they're at at this point. That's the problem that scientists are having with it. But the potential, again, for me to coat an entire room in a graphene-related substance so that every surface in there is actually display has some really cool applications, both in meeting collaboration, but also uh, in medical space. I mean, you know, instead, of, we, we go from talking about heads-up displays to what I would almost call head-down display. It could be literally on the sheet that you're operating beneath with display inches from where you're doing your work. So there's some really fascinating things. Now, graphene is a really interesting substance. Yeah, you know, I've been one to be um, very eager to see embeddables over wearables, sort of the uh, cybernetic uh, stuff. Uh, that seems to me with this graphene stuff to be one of the steps forward that it can become a second skin. And we've all seen that little um, Kickstarter ad that claimed to show a uh, wrist activated projector that showed very high quality video on your wrist, even in the tub and stuff like that. Uh, you know, while that doesn't seem to be very real, this could be have potential. So John, I put it to you. Do we think in maybe 10, 15 years, a graphene like product could replace a considerable amount of the hardware we're mounting now? So the days of our flat panel mounts are going to be way over even more. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, uh, Graphene, I think graphene's promise is more to do with transmission and optical transmission than it does material, uh, material uh, uh, manufacturing. Um, you know, graphene is a, is a, is a nano substance. It's extraordinarily 
uh, minute. It's uh, it's what nanotubes are made of, and and they're smaller than human hairs. Um, I think that graphene's strength is really in optical transmission, and what many of them, uh, many of the, uh, much of the research has been on using graphene in circuits uh, to transmit uh, wavelengths, optical uh, over optical uh, fibers. They are they are saying that circuits designed with graphene and silicon can transmit data at up to 500 gigahertz as opposed to what we're doing now, which is much, much, much slower. Um, the idea of that kind of speed is astonishing at, at how immediate we can transmit content, we can transmit information. And I think that's where the promise is. Do I think we're going to be wearing graphene shirts? Uh, probably not. I mean, uh, it'd probably be pretty expensive. Do I think that there will be graphene Surfaces for touch panels, possibly, yeah, because of the ability to transmit optical information. Uh, do I think that a flat panel TV will be made of graphene? No, if I had to predict, I'd say no, but what do I know? <laughs> All right, well, of course, crash my hopes. I was really hoping because, you know, I'd love to just, you know, you've seen the things of the LED panels or whatever the ones from, I think it was a Toshiba or, or Samsung, one of the two that you could put them right up against the wall, like a magnetic flat uh, sort of rollable poster hoping that further. yeah lg yeah oh it's lg right 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 i was hoping so you know i'm still got hope for the second skin for the embeddables kind of thing just weave it on me and i'm happy just, just, the other thing george is power ramifications further improvement in batteries which is obviously what's enabled us to do a lot right. of things we're doing right now so that's another area yeah absolutely absolutely lower the lower power required the the better off we are all right well we have done another 30 minutes of a v week I want to thank all of you for watching, but you know, it's not often that we get to announce something new here, you know, a new show here, a new guest there, and these are great things, but AV Week or AV Nation has actually entered into the awards arena. Yes, yes, we have. So AV Nation is announcing its first annual AV Nation Awards. You can come to our site, awards-2016.avnation.tv, and you can choose whom you want to nominate. There is no pull-down menu here. There is no suggestion. There is simply wanting to know who you would like to vote for. Here at AV Nation, we'd like to say that we're by and for and made by working AV professionals. This is your chance to have a say and put your vote in for the actual items you want to see. Go there again, it's awards-2016.avnation.tv. We'll put it up on the links. Please put in your vote, and we will be releasing that information sometime in February around ISE. Look for it there. This has been a fabulous show with some great guests. I love it when guests get the chance to talk to each other and keep me out of the mix. It makes me happier. So between John and Bruce, this was a really great conversation. When I get to learn some more and I don't have to ask all the questions, it makes my day a lot happier. Uh, so to thank those guys in person, first I'm going to go with Bruce Kaufman from Human Circuit. Bruce, where can they find more about you and the company? Well, uh, master of the obvious, uh, www.humancircuit.com. And we're at Human Circuit One, obviously on Twitter as well. But uh, the website is the best place, and you can keep an eye on what we're doing. I appreciate the time today. All right. And almost as my second host was John Thomas from Visatech. Sir, where can they find out more about you and the company? 
Visitech.com, V-I-S-I-T-E-C.com is where you find our company and uh, learn more about about what we do. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, for everyone here at AV Nation, AV Week, and for my guests, I want to thank you for watching. And remember that AV Nation is supported by our underwriters. They help us keep the lights on, get to shows, and, well, give us the time to do this. So please go to our underwriter page, see who they are, and if you get a chance, thank them for doing so. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. For AV Nation, AV Week, thank you for watching. We look forward to speaking with all of you again very soon.